a neurodiverse relationship? Well, I've been in one for 30 years. I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism, a podcast for anyone living with a partner on the spectrum. I've got tips, techniques, and lots of funny stories that will help you navigate and understand the sometimes confounding behaviors of your neurodiverse mate. Listen in and find out what Touching the Tism is all about. Hello again. Thanks for coming back and listening. I'm Lilo Biebert, and this is my husband, Bill. Hello. And today we are going to discuss what it's like having kids with an ND partner. And in a future episode, what it is like to have an autistic parent from my kids' perspective. I've got a few things to go over with you before I get into the meat of my podcast. I'd like to make sure that everyone knows again what my terms are. So when I say ND, that means neurodiverse or autistic. And when I say NT, that means neurotypical or not autistic. Uh, Hopefully this uh, will help you decipher things as I go along. Also, I had some lovely correspondence with a listener that asked some pointed questions about my particular relationship, and I want to honor her by answering some of her questions before I begin talking about today's topic, which is raising kids with an ND partner. And let me tell you, that was the singular, most difficult, and challenging aspect of my 30-plus year relationship. So stick around and find out what that was like. By the way, I love it when people write to me, so if you'd like to correspond, you can reach me at marriedtotheiceman at gmail.com or visit me at my podcast, whoops, sorry, blog, marriedtotheiceman.com. A subtle warning to you, do not Google Married to the Iceman and expect to get to my blog. Uh, You will find out everything you never wanted to know about some mobster. So, yeah. A hitman. Yeah. Right, basically. Anyway, didn't know that when I named the uh, blog. Okay, so here's a few things I was asked recently, and I thought I might help. I might help for you to get to know my situation better. The first question is, how did I find out about neurodiversity? So I was watching television one day years ago, and a movie trailer came on, and it was for a movie called Dear John. And the young woman in the movie trailer was obviously very upset, and she was crying her eyes out, and her love interest was standing there with his hands down by his side, his arms all limp, and just a blank stare staring off into space. She was obviously very upset. He was doing nothing, and you could tell he was incredibly bewildered at the time. And she looks at him and goes, John, this is when you would hug me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. She was leaking, too. She was leaking, yes. And what was John doing? Nothing. Observing. Yes, observing. So I was like, wait a minute. That is way, way, way too familiar. So I got on the Internet, and I started Googling and studying, and that's where I found the book, Married to Mr. Spock. I ordered it. I read it in, like, one day. And the rest, as they say, is history. I read long passages of it to Bill as well. Um, And that's how I found out about neurodivergent relationships. I did find this out long before Bill, 
and I convinced him to seek diagnosis because I sat and read long passages from the book to him, and he found a lot of commonality in the things that that woman had to say, and we ended up going to a counselor, and he was diagnosed and very lovingly accepted his diagnosis, and that was absolute uh, a game changer. So anyway, answer to your question, that's how I found out. And the next question I'm going to address was what it was like for Bill to be diagnosed. I'm going to answer that for myself first, and then I'm going to let Bill say how he felt about that. Uh, it was sort of like having some kind of weird, bizarre disease that you just, you went from doctor to doctor and they couldn't tell you what was wrong with you. And then all of a sudden somebody went, bam, you've got, and I went, whoa, that answers so many questions. That was just so fabulous because finally there was a name to this rather odd behavior patterns that Bill had. And I was just absolutely flabbergasted that this was it. And once I knew I could go out and I could learn and I could work through it. Because before that, the unnamed thing was consuming my life and it was really hard to understand what was going on. And this gave me big direction. So that was just a huge relief. So Honey, thanks again for sitting here and being so kind to throw out your side of the stories, uh, story. Could you tell the listeners how you felt? I know, I know, I know. Feeling. That's a hard one for you. But could you dig deep and find your feeling and tell us how you felt about being diagnosed? Or, or if you can't do that, tell us how it made you, I don't know, how it bettered your life or what was your reaction? When yeah, you because asking that? a guy on the spectrum or a gal on the spectrum how they feel about something, I mean, you know, you're always kidding about my feeling, not my feelings. Right. So for me, what it provided me was an explanatory, an explanatory framework for my eccentric behavior, my odd behavior, my out-of-step behavior. Right. It provided me a means to make sense of who I was and why I behaved the way I did. Did you look back like on your uh, childhood and your early youth and go, ah. Oh. It all fit. All the puzzle pieces started to come together. And my dad was autistic. Yes. So, and I didn't know it at the time. Yes. So was that somewhat of a, a relief for you to have that explanation? Well, it certainly is a relief. I think so. And it lets you live your life a little less burdened by people thinking you're odd and you find out the reason you are. Yeah, well, not that you ever cared about that, but, you know, definitely I think it explained so much and was a super useful tool for us. Absolutely. Definitely. So one thing I want to caution the listeners about is this. Bill has always been very accepting of his diagnosis, and it has been a godsend for he and I. I'm on a lot of support groups for ending relationships, and I have to say there is a large portion of people out there who either refuse to go to counseling at all or go to counseling and get the diagnosis and fight it. They don't want to accept it. They don't believe it. And that is, that's really hard for, for both parties. I, I really think they're shorting themselves if they're to that point and they don't accept diagnosis. But you can only control your own behavior 
So I advise you whether they accept the diagnosis or whether they even want to go to counseling and being be diagnosed, that you educate yourself regardless of what they believe, and you can navigate your relationship better no matter what, because you'll learn uh, the tools that you need to have to navigate this special relationship, and things will be better for both of you, whether they acknowledge it or not. Yes, it would be much better if they would, uh, and I'm very lucky. Bill is extremely accepting and actually embraces his diagnosis, um, but a lot of people, unfortunately, that's uh, not in the cards for them, and there's nothing you can do about it except educate yourself and go forward. So I was asked several more questions. But I'd like to move on and talk about having children with an indie partner. My title, When Spock is Your Father, uh, pretty much sums up what it's like to have an autistic uh, dad. Spock had a human mother. Yeah, not sure it did him any good. But I think when I talk to you, it'll answer some of my listeners' other questions. Um, and if not, please feel to write me again and I will be more uh, pointed. So here's where my story gets a little challenging. Keep in mind that we have five kids. We have his, mine, and three together. I homeschooled four of the kids full-time and the fifth child part of the time, 24 years minimum. It was a lot. And on top of that, Bill was gone a lot. And I mean a lot. 337 days in one year when we lived in Okinawa. Pre-911. Yep. He was... Uh, an army officer and attached to special forces and did all kinds of secret squirrel stuff that I didn't know about. I didn't know where he was or when he'd go home, I'd get the phone call. Hey, honey, I'm uh, I won't be home for dinner. And I'd be like, okay, when will you be home? I don't know. Okay. Well, where are you going? I can't tell you. Okay. Well, when will you be back? I don't know. And there was no internet then. No, no cell phones. I'm living in a foreign country. It's hard to read the language, hard to speak the language. I've got four little kids, and uh, he's gone. And Bill has had challenges of being a, a supportive husband because I think it took him a while to learn what it was like to enjoy or to pursue self-sacrifice. He always self-sacrificed financially. There's no question about that. But emotionally, he's gotten much better. But at the time, he was very, very focused on his career, which, of course, you can understand. And he was gone a lot and autistic on top of it. So when he did come home, there wasn't a whole lot left. So if I go back to the very early days when I had my oldest son, and then Bill and I got together and we had my second son, I can tell you plain as day that there was a lot to process right from the start. My second son had a lot of challenges when he was born. I won't go into all the gritty details because it would bore you to death, but this kid screamed from the second he came out for two solid years. I am, I'm not even exaggerating. If Connor was not asleep or eating, he was screaming. I mean, this would have been a nightmare for any person, but you are gifted with that kid and an ND parent, and I'm telling you, it was holy hell. It was awful. Imagine an autistic father 
who's very easily overstimulated by sound, light, crowds, parties, all that. And we had this really adorable redheaded demon child that screamed every second of every day, unless he was eating or sleeping. Two solid years. Bill, could you take us back to those days and give us some impressions of what it was like for you as an indie person to try to take care of a extremely challenging, screaming, loud, no way to comfort baby? I mean, you're dealing with overstimulation on an epic level. How, how did you deal with that? It was incredibly difficult, but of course I'm invested with the, the love of my son that you gave me. And uh, he's, he was quite the challenge, but ear protection went a long way. And I really didn't, and that did, really did ameliorate some of it. But the fact that no matter what you did, you couldn't stop him from being upset or crying. Sometimes one could take advantage of it, and I know you did at times too, where if the baby's mm. in the crib, he's crying. Baby's in your arms, he's crying. So we would take time out from the crying on occasion, and Connor would cry in his crib, and I'd feel a little bad about it, but there it was. It was it was a struggle. Remember when we were on that road trip, and we'd driven like 500 miles that day, and you and I both have ear protection. We changed his diaper. We fed him. We played with him. We sung to him. You know, uh, poor little Kyle, my oldest son, he really tried hard to help, you know, the brother, and, and it wasn't working. He was just screaming his, his guts out, and there was absolutely nothing. that. I mean, it was midnight, and he was still screaming. Well, we did make a discovery, though, during that time. And we that's did. that we, uh, we got something that simulated road noise, put it under uh -huh. his crib, and it did, to a certain extent, it did help. soothe him. It actually vibrated the, the crib. Yeah, but we wouldn't have known without that road trip. Yeah, at midnight, he, he finally uh, went to sleep. I can't tell you how many times we stood outside in the outside of the restaurant. One of us stood outside oh, yeah. of the restaurant while he screamed his guts out, and the yeah. other person ate their dinner and then came out, and we traded. Yep. Yeah, it was it was hard. So not only did Bill and I have the challenge of raising our little son that was absolutely the most challenging baby I've ever known, but we were dealing with an ND relationship that we didn't even know about. It was so difficult. And things got even more challenging after that as I had two more children. Thankfully, they didn't have any of the issues that my second son had. But as I had more children, it became painfully obvious that I was in charge of pretty much everything that uh, had to do with kids. When Bill would come home from work, when he actually did come home from work and wasn't in some third world country, the kids would run up to me and be like, Daddy! And they just wanted to spend time with him and see him because, you know, they'd been with Mom all day. And he would poo-poo them away. He would he would shoo them off. And uh, that, that was really hard. Uh, for me, because first of all, I desperately needed relief, and all he wanted was to be left alone. Relief. Yeah, that was that was really hard. Now, when we look back, I understand that Bill was tapped out. I mean, we both were. There, there's no doubt about it. But especially him, because he recharges in his own company. He's not only a autistic, but he's an introvert, and He's been tugged by people all day long. He's had to mask and mimic all day long to appear as 
you know, quote unquote, normal as he possibly can in the military life. You know, there's definitely a set of behaviors that are acceptable. So he's going through that all day long. And then he comes home and he's got his family basically sucking the living last drop of life's blood from him. And of course, this did not go well. Because, of course, I did not know this. I did not understand why he was so tapped out and why he wasn't able to give us uh, more of himself. So it was a real bad dynamic at the, at, at the time. So I think um, there are some things that could have been helpful at the time if we'd have known that you were uh, neurodiverse. Uh, can you throw out some suggestions or, or rather, could you throw out some impressions of what it was like for you when you came home from a long day at work, very taxing profession, and then you're bombarded by all these little creatures that come and want to suck the lifeblood out of you? No, oh, but they had the best intentions. They were just little tiny children who wanted to be with their dad. And I didn't understand that. And like you were saying, I, I, um, I, I get this. I, I recenter and, and ground myself alone. I don't do it with other people. Like you, you're the energizer bunny. You're an extrovert and you love people and you can even recharge with people present. I cannot do that. So having the little people doing that because I, I just spent all day with human beings and then tinier human beings want my time when I get home. And it was difficult for me to wrap my head around. How do you think your early parenting, which no offense to you, but was a challenge for sure. How do you think that has impacted your, your kids? Oh, I think that I could have been a better father for them when they were younger if I'd known then what I know now. And as you know, since we, also, we have five children, we also have five grandchildren. And we had the wonderful opportunity to see them recently. And for the first time, I got to spend time with my oldest granddaughter from my middle son. And Lilo was very skeptical about how our precious little Adelaide would respond to the new Avi, Avi, me being the grandfather. And uh, we were thick as thieves. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that I was behaving in a way with my granddaughter that is a learned behavior I wish I'd have known when I had my own kids. Yeah, me too. I think the kids were a little jelly. They were like, who is this man and who's abducted my father? Because, you know, the kids got very little of that. And and it was really hard because I unfortunately became the harpy wife because it was like, okay, step one. You were good, is, though, at that. Oh, thanks, dear. So this is what you're going to do now, and this is what you're going to do next, and you must spend 15 minutes playing with them and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it was It was super challenging. So do you think you could have been maybe a more present and conscious dad if you'd have known that you were autistic then? I think I would have, yeah. With that, with that awareness of how I was wired, maybe I could have dealt with it easier because it was unknown then. Right, right. And we have, more, we have so many more tools now because of our knowledge of your diagnosis. It just... We, I've been able to reach out and find out things. And you've been very receptive to yeah. finding out about yourself and yeah. working on certain behaviors that just make life easier for everyone around. So as the kids got older, things got easier. Uh, but I was struggling still because it seemed that Bill had little or no natural parenting skills. I had to guide him a lot during those early years. I mean, changing diapers, 
oh my god if yeah. bill could have changed diapers in a hazmat suit yes. he would have this is the guy that to this day washes the dishes with his gloves on now i am not complaining right because he washes the dishes nobody's going to complain about that but when my dad saw him wear gloves to wash the dishes for the first time whoa so you can imagine someone who cannot stand to get he didn't call me a violinist though he knew better <laughs> So if for the, that's a family joke. Anyway, if you cannot, if you can imagine what it's like for this man who can't even stand to wash dishes without gloves on, can you imagine him, you know, basically running after a little kid that's got diarrhea running down yeah. their legs yeah. throughout the house? I laugh now, but it wasn't funny then. I mean, you laughed then too. I did kind of laugh. It was kind of justice, actually. But to you know, I can pick up a, a cat turd with my bare hands. That's that's no problem for me. But Bill has a really really hard time with getting anything on him, bodily fluids, food, uh, anything like that. Really really bothers him. Can you explain uh, to us why? That is so difficult for you? Again, it's a sensitivity issue. It's, uh, it's because, you know, as you very well know, there's not a centimeter of my flesh that isn't ticklish. <laughs> so that was the first indicator that maybe there are tactile issues that I have as a result of being on the spectrum that makes me especially vulnerable to yuck. Another thing I'd like to address, and I could talk about this for hours, so I think there might be a part two episode, is the relationship he has now with his adult kids. Even though I got to say he didn't serve their needs very well emotionally when they were little, and I do feel like if we'd have known that he was autistic then, he could have done a lot better. Certainly, uh, we we both could. He has an excellent relationship with his adult children because he can use logic uh, to influence them, and he has always been the calm, strong dad, and that has been a, a blessing for our children when they were young or adults. Well, it's not simply logic. It's uh, you and I have been around the block. I've been around the block, and sometimes they seek out advice sometimes they don't sometimes we offer them advice that they don't ask for sure sometimes they request it of us and i think that you and i are pretty sage in that and i'm i have good advice to give them yes but the point being is that you can they can talk to you sure. on your on your level sure. now, and that makes it a lot easier for you um let's see so i'm very grateful that our children uh, love and respect their dad despite the fact that he maybe was unable to be present emotionally in their lives when they were little and he still struggles from with emotional support to this day so nt partners this is something that you may be faced with it, it's hard to face that you may feel terribly alone at times and you will have to explain a lot of your partners behavior to your kids if you choose to do so. If your indie partner is willing and able to discuss what it is like being autistic, I highly recommend you allow them to communicate with the kids. So don't be the in-between person. That's not a healthy place to be. Have your indie partner talk to the children and explain what it's like and why they might need some special circumstances or, or some 
unusual requests like time away or things like that. It's not personal. Dad just needs to go decompress for a little while because he's had it. He's overstimulated. He's tapped out. And I think your kids might be able to understand their parent on a more empathetic level. Kids are smart and intuitive and it helps if you arm them with information, then they don't take it personally so much and think it's them. You know, daddy's not playing with me. What did I do wrong? You know, oh, honey, you didn't do anything wrong. Dad, could you please tell them why you don't feel like playing right now? You know, those things are important to do uh, for your kids. Again, I'm big on knowledge is power. Lastly, I'd like to answer this one question. Are any of my children on the spectrum? When my boys were growing up, they were heavily influenced by my husband's behavior. It is without a doubt that our youngest son is MD, and it is possible that my second son is as well. Um, Bill's dad, as we mentioned before, was autistic, and I read a bunch on the hereditary aspects of autism. But if nothing else, I caution you to be prepared that if your children, if you have children, there's a distinct possibility that they might be autistic. It's a gift. Or at the very least, have the autistic cousins. In our house, that's what we call affectations of autism. My youngest son had a lot of the telltale signs of autism, like walking on his tiptoes and certain behavioral signs when he was young, and my second son as well. Now as adults, uh, two of my sons have certain character traits of autism, and the youngest undoubtedly in D. And that's one of the reasons I do this podcast, uh, my youngest son. I want young women especially who are in ND relationships to appreciate their autistic partners for what they are and to learn from the many, many, many mistakes I made as a young woman. If I'd have known early on what I was dealing with, I could have been a lot more loving, patient, and kind, and I think it would have helped so much. Although we are pretty certain that two of our sons are ND, Neither one of them have chosen to go to professional counseling and being diagnosed, but it doesn't matter because we we know Bill is, and we know the the signs, and we know we know the things that they need to deal with and reckon with. And I talk a lot with my youngest son's soon-to-be wife and try to counsel her on ways to deal with some of the things that might be a little bit challenging. So they're aware of their characteristics and they know that Bill and I have worked through a lot. And I think we have been, in that respect, a good example to them because we made it through some really difficult times because we did not know that Bill was on the spectrum and if nothing else, they have to be proud of us for sticking it through and working through a lot of problems. And hopefully we were a good example so that they, you know, can avoid those um, mistakes that we made. And one lovely part of having adult relationships uh, with a father on the spectrum is that all my kids are incredibly intellectual because... Let's face it, most uh, indie people are incredibly brilliant in sometimes several... Incredibly so. Incredibly. Incredibly handsome, too. And they are, you know, incredibly brilliant in whatever their particular interests are. And our children have had to reach a high bar to be able to communicate 
with their dad and find commonality and connection. And because it wasn't always easy to get dad's attention or talk to dad, um, they worked extra hard and that has made them incredibly educated and well-read so they can speak to dad on his own terms. So one last question or actually series of questions for you, Bill. What would you have done differently with the kids if you had known you were in D then? Well, if I... If I'd have known then, I would have known, you know, the constraints and the boundary conditions of being indie. And because of that, I would have been able to come to you and say, look, I'm very ritualistic. I'm very set to time. So let me come home for 15 minutes and then I'll come out after 15 minutes and I'll play for 45 minutes with the children. And then uh, you and I would come to other conclusions, but we'd be able to shape the conditions better because it wouldn't be unknown and be known what my needs were needs and limitations were. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that if Bill could have said, when I come home, I need 15 minutes just to go change my clothes and stare at the wall for five minutes before I come out. And then I'll be willing to play with the kids. Things would have just gone so much better because of course you can imagine I'm confounded that he doesn't want to play with his own kids but I didn't know that he was absolutely, positively, completely drained. I do feel like Bill's chronic fatigue is a part of the puzzle. The reason he's always exhausted is that he has to mask and mimic for the public all the time. And it just sucks the living life out of him. Would you agree to that, honey? I agree with that. And it, it is exhausting to do that. So um, what advice would you give to new neurodiverse couples on how to weather all the craziness that goes on in a household of young families? How can an ND person survive it? Well, because we're creatures of ritual, time, reflection, our neurostats are, are practically unlimited because we don't have the ways to stopgap that or, or, or backstop it that you do as neurotypicals that set times of uh, what we're going to do. We're going to play with the children for an hour and we're going to do it at this place and we're going to do these things. And, you know, setting preconditions and, and shaping what that's going to look like when you're engaging with even your own children. I know it sounds a bit harsh. That, that helps a whole lot for those of us on the spectrum. Yeah, I think that end game thing that you mentioned is really important because Bill's the guy of, well, we're going to a party. Well, what time are we leaving? Not soon enough. You know, uh, they're not really his thing. But if I say, okay, we're going to a party at 8 o'clock and we're going to leave at midnight, he's okay with that because he knows in advance what is to be expected of him. And I'll bring my books and my Kindle in case I need to uh, decompress. <laughs> no, not at a party. Remember that indies get overstimulated easily and a crazy, loud, chaotic household can be overwhelming, causing them to retreat into a safer place or into their own head, neither place being particularly helpful to you. So setting up expectation helps a lot, along with chore charts. Yes, I know. It sounds ridiculous. What a great idea, though. Yeah, for a grown man, right, to need a chore chart. But I'm, I'm telling oh, you. Oh, I thought you were talking about the kids. No, I'm talking about you. Oh, okay. But it can be super helpful uh, to keep the NT partner from being a total nag. 
Plus, with small babies, it can really help if you say things like, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I don't think Friday. it can stop you from being a total neck. Oh, <laughs> On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you get up in the middle of the night if so-and-so wakes up, okay? You're going to sing to them. You're going to change their diaper. You're going to give them their bottle or whatever your instructions are. Rock them for five minutes. Put them back to bed. Cover them up. Pet them. Tell them night-night and leave. I know that it sounds ridiculous and it should be innate that uh, dad knows how to do these things, but I'm here to tell you, in a lot of neurodiverse people, it is not. And you have to help them a little bit, teach them how to do these things. And, and once they get the hang of it, they'll do this automatically. But I'm warning you, don't expect to break the routine. Uh, they're not getting up on a Tuesday, okay? If you say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that's their days to get up in the middle of the night with the baby. Tuesday is a no-go. Not going to happen. So I've got a lot more to say. Let's come back for part two of When Spock is Your Father. For thoughts from my kids on how having an ND father affected their life, for better or for worse, please feel free to write me at um, marriedtotheiceman at gmail.com or check out my blog at marriedtotheiceman.com. Also, feel free to check out Bill's podcast, The Stimulating Chasing Ghosts in a Regular Warfare Podcast, or The Dash, a Stoic Leadership Podcast. Superlative. Ooh, superlative podcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, live long and prosper.